Well, you would think this being Christmas that uh, that it would be something we would all have down pat, all of the details. Uh, but it's not always that way. I, I, in fact, I have one message. It's not the one I'm going to preach today, but it's about Christmas confusion. It's really amazing how much confusion there is about Christmas. Kind of reminds me of that game they play at Shires. I, I don't know the name of the game, and I, I don't, don't know the rules or anything, but uh, it's, it's where, you know, one person will... Uh, will whisper something to the person next to them and, and they're supposed to repeat it and then they whisper the story to someone next to them. And Y'all have played that game, have you? <laughs> or watch somebody play it. And, and then you, you go around in the circle and by the time it gets back over to where it started uh, and, and, you know, they say out loud what they've heard and what's been passed on and it doesn't end up anything like it was when it started. It's totally different. And it's amazing how stories can get distorted over time. I know that especially in doing a lot of reading, or at least I used to, and, uh, and uh, of course all of my reading consisted of stuff that preachers have written, and, and uh, in reading different illustrations, and I could mention several this morning, there are some of those same illustrations that I've heard in ten different ways. Now, they can't all be true. Now, they all make the same point, but a preacher will get up and say, I want to tell you a true story now to illustrate what I'm talking about. And he'll tell it. And you go to a Bible conference and another preacher gets up and he says, I want to tell you a true story that illustrates what I'm talking about. He'll tell the same story, but it ain't nothing like the first story you heard. It's all different, you see. But I guess, you know, that's just natural, really. Uh, there's even, we live in a day when there's a lot of confusion about, uh, about history, believe it or not. I mean, that amazes me. In fact, I just read this morning, actually, that George Washington University has removed U.S. history as a requirement for history majors. Think about that a little while. You can major in history, get a degree, and never study U.S. history. And then, of course, you've got some folks that are working diligently to change it intentionally, you see. Now, I'm saying all of that for a reason. Because it is important that we keep repeating the Bible stories uh, so as to pass them on to the next generation. We live in a day where it seems like every few months they come out with a new version of the Bible. And, well, I, I haven't figured out anything wrong with this old 1611 King James Version I have in my hand. I, I mean, there's nothing, absolutely nothing more accurate than it is. Uh, why, you know, they, they do that just to sell Bibles. That's what it's all about. But in the process, they end up corrupting what some people think is the Word of God. And then on, on top of that, you have some preachers in order to, in order to, you know, to please the people. They don't want to offend anybody. 
And, you know, the virgin birth, that sounds so far out there that, man, we better we better back off of that. Now, I just read one of the mega churches pastors just this last week, in fact, has done just that, leaving the impression that it's not really important. Whether he was born of a virgin or not, it's not that big of a deal. Well, you know, I, I, I kind of think it's a big deal. Because if it's not true, you can't believe the Bible. Believe me, you can't believe everything that you hear, and that's why we have to base our beliefs on the Bible. Someone has called this the information age, but I think it's ironic that it has produced so many uninformed people. So, let's talk about the Christmas story. No, not the not this TV show where the little boy, you know, gets hit in the eye with a BB gun. Not that one. But the real Christmas story. Where does it begin? Well, the answer might surprise you because it's not where most people think. It started before the birth of the baby and before the message to Mary. So when was it then? Well, to answer that question, we've got to we've got to consider several different things. We we well, we could say I I just make it really easy this morning. Say, it actually all started somewhere back yonder in the eternal council halls of God, there where God, knowing what would happen, that God devised the plan to to bring all of this about. You know, because God God knew what was going to happen, right? And He knew we were going to need a Savior. Isn't it exciting to serve a God that that is that powerful? But the answer that we're looking for relates more to world history. And so speaking in regards to time, when and where did the Christmas story begin? Genesis chapter 3, it began with a promise. And I'm sure that you already realize that in Genesis chapter number 3, we see the fall of man. And here in verse number 15, the Lord speaking to Satan, he says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his head. Now, that's God's message to Satan, but it's made for our benefit. That's why it's recorded in the Bible. God wanted us to get this message. And so, whenever we look at the message that God delivered at that time, there are two things that we need to keep in mind. I think number one is the privilege. Remember, God created Adam and Eve, and here they are in a perfect environment, by the way. Don't we just love to blame all of our failures on our circumstances? Well, you know, I, I, I never did get a good education or somebody mistreated me whenever I was younger. Or this happened and we're always wanting to blame our failures on, on somebody else. But man, they are in the Garden of Eden. They, uh, wow, it, absolutely everything is perfect. She has a perfect husband. He has a perfect wife. Everything is perfect. I mean, they've never sinned. Uh, just it couldn't be more ideal than that. And yet, and yet, even with a glorious privilege like that, 
there arose a problem. And the problem had to do with the fact that they rebelled against God. They sinned against the Lord and they suffered as a result of it. They suffered immediately in that God warned them in the day that you eat thereof, you're going to die. And they did. They died spiritually at that very moment. They were deader than a hammer, so to speak, spiritually. They began to die emotionally because all of a sudden now sorrow, sadness, problems, emotional distress, all of those things enter into the picture. And I know that because it talks about the fact that Adam was afraid and he hid himself. Now, this is not the old Adam, you know. This is not the way he was before because he daily walked in communion with God every day, but now he's hiding from God. And then not only that, not only did they die immediately in a spiritual sense, not only did they begin to die in, in the emotional sense, but they were to die ultimately in a physical sense. Adam lived 930 years and what happened? He died. He died as a result. But you see, Adam and Eve were not the only ones that had a problem as a result of their sin. There was another problem in that that their sin affected every generation to come. Every person that would ever be born is affected as a result of their sin. You know, we, sometimes we talk about, uh, somebody says, well, you know, I've got a bad temper because I'm Irish. And so they, you know, they blame it, blame it on that. Well, here we find Adam and Eve having sinned against God and a curse pronounced upon them. And God reveals His plan. And the plan is, He says there's going to be enmity between the, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, and that's hatred, that hatred between the two. And there's always been. And uh, he said uh, that the seed of the serpent will bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. That is, he's going to be, in, uh, you know, hurt in the process. But the head of the serpent is going to be destroyed. But it didn't take them long to understand this was God's way of saying, I know what your problem is and I have a plan and I'm making you a promise that I'm going to take care of it. Now what I want you to see is that he says, notice the seed of the woman. That makes this verse different than any other verse that you can imagine. You never read anything like this in the genealogies that are given in the Bible. The seed of the woman. That's not natural. Because whenever you read the genealogies, it always has to do with the man. Because, listen, the seed emanates from the male, not from the female. And so God says, I'm going to take the male element out of it. And the woman is going to bring forth a man-child. And that's why in Galatians chapter 4 that we'll get to in a minute, it talks about him being made of a woman. Not a man, made of a woman. And here we see that 
Jesus is promised and that eventually that he will be victorious over Satan. When we think about the the virgin birth, think about what that means. It means that Jesus had no father according to the flesh and he had no mother according to the spirit. When you think about the virgin birth, you're thinking about the only person that was ever older than his mother because Jesus existed even before Mary. That's why John said in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God, but the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, that's what happened at the virgin birth. Because of the fact that that the sin nature of man would be passed on from one generation to another generation, God, God had to remove the male element out of it, which He did, in order that Christ would be perfect and a suitable sacrifice for our sins. Now, the most famous of all of the Old Testament prophecies, actually in Isaiah 7, 14, where it says, Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So every generation of those Old Testament Jews lived in the light of that promise. I mean, they hung on to that, that eventually Messiah is going to come. Eventually, God is going to work out the plan that He has given to us and the promise will be fulfilled. Well, it was. Turn over to Galatians chapter number 4 and and we, we read in verse number 4, but when the fullness, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now this is the provision of the promise that was made way back in Genesis. Knowing human nature, I don't think it's a stretch for me to say that no doubt there were those who began to to doubt and discount the prophecies concerning Christ. Remember, what Isaiah wrote, that, that was 700 years before Jesus was born. So remember, one generation has passed this information on to the next generation over and over and over. Just like you hear the Christmas story now, looking back on something that's already happened, Back then, in those ancient times, the father acting as the high priest of the family, and the father, as he would gather the family around, he would rehearse this promise of God over and over and over, reminding them, the prophet said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they heard that again and again. But one generation passed away and a new generation came and now we're into the centuries and now 700 centuries has passed away. And no doubt some of them are wondering, maybe Isaiah had it wrong. By the way, have you ever stopped and think about what if he had not come? What if Jesus hadn't come? 
Now, listen, that's a legitimate thought because Jesus himself raised that question in John 15, 22. He said, if I had not come. That, that's something he wants us to think about. Had he not come, had he never been born, what then? Well, it's easy to figure out the promises of God would have failed. The character of God would would certainly be tainted. The existence of God would be questioned. We'd be in spiritual darkness. There wouldn't be any forgiveness of sins, no possibility of heaven, no hope beyond the grave, no evidence that God loves us, no Christmas and no Easter, no hope. That's what it would be like had Jesus not come. But notice here in verse number 4, the very first word, but. What if He had not come? But, thank God for this, because now we can do away with all of the supposition and we can leave the, the darkness and the gloom of doubt and step into the glorious light of reality where we find blessed assurance. Jesus did come. But, notice the next phrase now, but when the fullness of the time was come. That is the the precise moment when all of the conditions were exactly perfect. That's when He came. And believe me, there's several things we could talk about related to that. I mean, God had it timed out absolutely perfect. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. That's just like He said. Made of a woman. He speaks nothing about Him coming from the loins of Adam or any other man. He comes from a woman, made of a woman. That's the fulfillment of the promise that those Jews had been hanging on to throughout the centuries. Notice verse number 5. And in verse 5, we see the present itself. In verse 4, we're talking about the provision. He provided what He promised, but this is the present. Verse 5 He came, why? Notice, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Notice the giver. The giver is God, verse number 4. The gift is what? His Son. He's the gift. That's why Paul said, thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. But notice the goal. He says, to redeem that we might receive the adoption of of sons. In other words, simply put, Jesus came to secure for us a place in God's family. We don't need to worry about what would happen had Jesus not come because He did. And, and He gives us the reason for it in the Word of God. He came to project light. That is, as John said in chapter 1 of the Gospel of John, He's the light of the world. He came to project light. He came to provide life. He came to proclaim liberty. He came to prove the love of God. He proved it because God kept His promise. Now, that's the reason for His coming, but think about the results. 
And, and it's no wonder that Paul says, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Uh, you know, sometimes you might get a gift and you don't get all that excited about it because it's like, oh man, I, I sure didn't need that. And, and then you get another gift and it's like, wow, I can't believe I got that. That is awesome. But boy, when we talk about the results, the results that we derive from the gift that we receive, it makes you want to shout hallelujah. Amen. Because there's the forgiveness for those that are fallen. Think about forgiveness. What a wonderful word that is to know that, that He is willing to forgive us. There's salvation for the sinner. There's reconciliation for the rebels. They've rebelled against God. They've despised His laws. And yet, because of Christ, we can be reconciled. There's redemption for those that are ruined. Oh, how easily it happens. We don't plan it that way. But some way or another, we get off of the right track and we go in the wrong direction. And the next thing we know that we've made such a mess out of our life that it can only be described as a state of ruin, just ruin. Well, thank God there's a redemption from that. Redemption from the ruin. There's help for those that are helpless there's healing for those that are hurting. There's hope for those that are hopeless. And make no mistake about it. While we as Christians, while we as Christians celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ today, and whenever we think about all of that means for us, and we think about being the recipients of all of God's many blessings, we, we rejoice, we are thrilled, because we live every moment in hope. And as I, as I wrote this morning in the morning manna, a thrill of hope. If you haven't read it, I hope you do when you get home. A thrill of hope. A thrill of hope. Let me tell you, the majority of the world... Most people are living without any hope whatsoever. And, and sadly, so many of them know it. They know there's no hope for this emptiness is in my heart. And as I've said so many times, that's, that's where God found me back before I was saved, standing there from a hangover, looking at myself in a mirror, thinking, oh, there's got to be something more to life than this. How empty. How meaningless. And I want you to know, folks, there is hope for the hopeless. Everything I've said this morning, I think, is summed up in 1 John 5.20, and I'm going to close with this. 1 John 5.20, and we know, we don't have to guess about it. It's not a shot in the dark. It's not just our opinion. It's not something we read somebody else wrote. It's, it's we know. We know that the Son of God has come. Regardless of what the critics say. They can rant and rave and deny it. But we know the Son of God is come and have given us an understanding that we may know Him. Not just know about Him, but that we can know Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God 
and eternal life. That's it in a nutshell, folks. That tells the whole story right there. And I've done my best to tell you that story here this morning. Whatever you do, don't leave here without hope. It might be that you think to yourself, you know, preacher, what you say sounds good, but I've tried before and I I tried this religious stuff and it, it might work for others, but it just didn't work for me. Let me tell you, stop trying religion and just put your trust in the Redeemer. Just trust Jesus. Just believe that that He'll do what He said that He would do. John said, These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Yes, thank you, Lord. Why would... How? How could any real true Christian ever even doubt whether they're a child of God or not? You say, oh, well, maybe they don't really understand all of the Bible, but my Bible says the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. You can burn my Bible, but I'm telling you the Holy Spirit is still working in my heart and assuring me that because of Jesus, I'm accepted by the Father. And I have a home in heaven. And He's going to help me till I get there. He wants to help you also. Let's stand this morning. Father, how we thank You for all that is, all that is meant as we celebrate uh, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. How we thank You for the greatness of Your love that not only saw our need, but, but provided exactly what was needed. And we're so grateful for that. And we just pray this morning... There's a man or a woman, some boy or girl that's here today and they don't have the hope of heaven in their heart. They've never come to know the joy of their sins being forgiven and that wonderful assurance. Lord, I pray your spirit will speak to their heart and not only convince them of their need, but help them to to realize that even more than they could ever imagine that you love them to such a great extent that you gave your son to die on the cross and he paid their sin debt their life doesn't have to be the way it is it can all change right now in a moment of time may they trust him here right now this morning in jesus name we pray amen while